This episode is not sponsored, but we encourage you to help support the small businesses, charities and organisations that we mention. Welcome back to another episode of Our Circle. I'm Rhiannon. And I'm Jess. And to our visual watchers on YouTube right now, you might be thinking, why is Jess wearing a headdress? Why am I in sparkles with my hair up in a 90s sort of situation? Well, today we are wanting to talk about Eurovision, the amazingness that is Eurovision. And we thought, what better way to then have a expert of our own come and join us. So please welcome our guest host for today, who is an avid uh, Eurovision expert in our opinion he is also a train enthusiast he is obsessed with lego he is a pub quiz master and his drag name is meatball marinara or marinara meatballs i think please welcome my friend james armian (laughs) thank you for having me i'm very excited to be here oh we're so excited to have you here and ask you so many questions so i think just jumping straight into it please can you tell our listeners what is eurovision because i had no clue about eurovision until i met you you know you're you're, you're probably not alone there are a lot of people who are in the same boat shall we say and um, and for someone like me, it was it was something that I was very um, unaware of in childhood, but has something that's been actually present in in this continent <laughs> for for well over sixty years. And it, it's not something crazy, it's not, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's mad. It's 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 something that has been an event that has been running for so long, and yet mm-hmm. not a lot of people are aware of it. There's maybe some reasons behind that in terms of sort of a, a bit of ignorance or you know not knowing necessarily what um, Eurovision's about and what what you want to get involved with but it's it's a very sort of long story but a potted history of it is Eurovision was created in around the 1950s this was a continent you have to remember at that time that was still sort of suffering from the ravages of World War II it was some uh, somewhere where you know there was a lot of discord and uh, potential unhappiness from from what has happened over the last decade or so and so eurovision as a term isn't doesn't necessarily just apply to the song contest that we're that we're here to talk about today but is actually um it's a broadcasting group that was set oh. up in 1950 i have um, no idea about that no i didn't it's, either no it's and it's it's something that's not necessarily you know spoken about too much and so in in 1950 they, they create the powers that be in in the continent sort of came together and they created what's called the EBU which is the European Broadcasting Union mm-hmm. um, and the idea behind it wasn't initially to create a song contest that you know people could dress up in fabulous costumes and, and you know <laughs> go around the countries and, and award points to each other right. it was actually a, it was a group set up to provide network coverage across Europe for large events so that it would save each individual country's broadcaster costs so mm-hmm. they send a team to say cover the olympics or something like that or pull the coverage together Mm -hmm. and um then it would be all accessible in what from one place to for everyone to be able to um sort of sit in on and and enjoy together so you're looking at things like big sporting events is often the one that's used for and still used today actually that's Um, what i want to ask then does this exist today then the the broadcasting Ah, yeah, okay. very often if, if you're watching, say, an athletics competition, you know, the, the Diamond League or the World Athletics Championship or even something that's far more niche, you know, it could be snooker or something like that. What you'll often see is a little advertising hoarding, which, you know, advertises your, your beer, your chocolate, your Nesquik, or, you know, the, your Muller yogurts, that sort of yes. thing. But you will also sometimes just see a blue banner that says Eurovision on it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it is. So oh, that okay. is it's the branding for that. I'd never you... even thought about like Eurovision, <laughs> like the fact that it would be broadcasting like vision things. Like that makes this makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so <laughs> clicking, yeah. <laughs> even things. So, in 1953, when our queen was was uh, had her coronation, was crowned, mm-hmm. that was broadcast through Eurovision across mm-hmm. um, across the continent on this channel. And it all sounds very boring, but it, it's basically every national broadcaster for each country pays a fee. Mm-hmm. to access that coverage and therefore has the right to broadcast that so in the uk the state broadcast is the bbc and so the bbc have access to that to, bro- to broadcast whatever they so wish from that network of tv coverage and one of them happens to be eurovision mm-hmm. so and that's a sort of the potted history of how how it sort of came to be right. and around 1956 so you're looking mm, 65 years ago something like that they decided well you know Let's try and unite the continent through song. <laughs> let's let's have a contest. Um, and there was there was inspiration from um, a festival which used to run every year in Italy 
called the San Remo Music Festival, which still runs today um, yeah. in Italy. Um, they still use it to uh, in Italy to select their participant for Eurovision each year. So it's, mm. it's something that still runs today. Um, but they wanted to do something along those lines. So they pinched that idea and they said, you know, let's, uh, <laughs> let's try and do something where we have maybe um, a representative from each country come along. Everyone watches, everyone votes for who they want to win. And then the winner gets that that, that prestige, you know, and everyone's right. had a lovely evening out of it. That was the sole purpose of actually uniting everyone for, for, with something a bit more exciting or positive. Like not so much just like, oh, news, let's talk about news. It's like, oh, let's actually yeah. have something fun. That's exactly. Yes, it, it, it's a lovely, it's a lovely sort of sentiment, and it's probably mm. something that isn't necessarily as around as much anymore. But you have to remember, at this time, it was Germany uh, as as a nation in, in in Europe at that time didn't have the best, you know, the yeah. best reputation. It was uh, before the times of like the EU and and any sort of unity with that. So there were lots of different pockets of of different factions of cultural identity that perhaps weren't being seen as being together so there wasn't that togetherness that you perhaps would get today in that respect and so the idea behind the contest was just to have one evening where you would sit down or you know watch the same same songs together and you'd all vote and um and try and have that shared cultural appreciation of of culture and you know the and and song so there are rules there are a number of rules that i've had to learn thanks to jane <laughs> <laughs> and from the beginning i mean I've had the joy of having a whole load of history lessons with James on Eurovision and we, we watched <laughs> some of the early ones and there, there wasn't the same amount of countries either. It was a lot smaller, wasn't it? No, exactly. So the, the first contest was held in Lugano in Switzerland in 1956 and there were only, I believe it was seven countries, eight countries, eight countries it was that participated. And you go fast forward to this year, you've got 42 countries, <laughs> you wow. know, and all to compete um and and you're right that the rules the rules have changed over over time and over the years so you've got um a range of rules at the beginning there wasn't public voting it was juries so a, a special a group of people set up um in each country music industry experts who would give their votes to to different countries and That's they would have conductors <laughs> and they would have conductors which i don't have now yes no no space for orchestras that it's all on, on backing tracks so <laughs> so yeah the um the conductors could often um pull off quite a look as well as as well we know from <laughs> from previous previous watchings and so yeah so that that, that whole scoring process has evolved over the years as well from being just juries to a public televote a bit like the x factor you know where you ring up for your favorites right. to now there's now a mix of both jury and televoting so you've got you've got that entire sort of spread for popular songs and technically brilliant songs that juries would love as well yeah. so the idea is to try and make that scoring system as fair as possible it's not one night it's over and i didn't understand this at, at first so can you explain how the contest actually works so like you said there's 42 41 40, it, it hovers around 40 usually 40, yeah. 40 countries we can't watch 40 countries in one night so how does this work <laughs> anyone who wants to try and understand how they can participate in watching this and not lose the whole day <laughs> <laughs> it's it was much easier back in the 50s when you had just at least you know eight, eight to a dozen countries just to <laughs> easy. and and i think that that's what um the the problem that the organizers had was you know when it was starting off in the, in that time you didn't have as many countries in europe as you did now you had a lot of the eastern european countries were in the soviet union so you didn't you didn't have mm. that uh, break up of countries. Yugoslavia was when and Czechoslovakia were still countries around that time, you know, and, and they've since sort of broken up and, and into individual different nations. Yeah. And so the problem as you've gone along is, yeah, it's all fine and good, you know, having you know three minutes per song to, to listen to each country perform. What people don't necessarily appreciate as well is that there's the scoring part as well. Yeah. So you've got everyone sings and then everyone gives their scores and you have to go around each nation to, to hear each of their scores, mm. which can up a good part of your evening and so the problem was then getting to the 90s once the soviet union had broken up once you know individual european nations were starting to find their own identity mm. was how do we go about you know it's wonderful we've got so much interest in wanting to compete but we're not going to make the general public sit through 40 people 40 <laughs> people now <laughs> you know looking at that alone that's you know 40 times three minutes that's two hours already taken up of your time in, in listening and that's not including you know the bits in the middle the the scoring at the end um and so they, they there have been different ways of trying to tackle that um and in the 90s they originally tried a um a relegation system where the bottom countries in each final wouldn't have the right to participate the following year which would allow those who didn't participate to enter that year 
right. the main sort of solution, I should say, for, for going forward now is since about 2003-04, they've run semifinals during the same week as the grand final. Right. And so what you have is you have your main finalists, which are the host country, which is usually the, the country that's run, won the year before. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. have what's called the big five. So they are the, the big five countries in Europe that contribute the most financially as their entry fee to the European Broadcasting Union. I find this rule very, <laughs> very questionable, in my opinion. I think quite controversial. Yes, because you're paying to get to the mm, final. To get, yeah, your place. Yeah. yeah. Um, and essentially, what that is, is the UK, France, Spain, Germany, and Italy, mm. they pop their money in. They pay the most because they can afford it the most. You know, a country like Malta or Cyprus, for example, is much smaller. It's not going to be able to afford to put in as much to the EBU as, yeah. as these countries can. Um, that said, the cost, the annual fee of being in the EBU is about half the cost of one episode of Strictly Come Dancing. So it's not actually that mm. much in, in UK terms. So it's, it's not it's not as if, you know, you're paying millions in order for UK yeah. to finish last each year. <laughs> yeah, so the idea is that the big five and the host country, the winner from the year before, they're already in the final. We don't have to worry about them. It doesn't take any places away from other countries and trying to compete as well. Those two semifinals, it's usually about uh, 17 or 18 um, countries that are in each semi-final and from there the top 10 um, from each one go through into Saturday's final where they sing exactly the same song again <laughs> to a wider audience but this time all of Europe can vote on them in the semi-finals uh, only half the countries can vote on a designated semi-final oh okay you get given one that you can vote on so the UK will be allowed to vote on one semi-final but not the other right. um, and that makes it a bit more exciting in terms of who's going to get through and also you don't necessarily know how many points that country is going to get in the final because they wouldn't have had um, those or everyone's votes in the semi-final as well. Right. So are the semi-finals televised? Because I've only ever watched the final. They are televised. They have to be. So that's yeah. a sort of a requirement. Um, the grand final is always on BBC One on, on a Saturday night. Tuesdays and Thursdays during that week is when the semi-finals are. I don't think it has that level of appeal to be put on BBC One or Two. That's a real shame because that's if thinking about the whole notion of this to start with was to unite people mm. and you know for, for something positive for everyone across Europe to enjoy together for that to yeah. not be televised on something that w- would be accessible like in your face I guess I think it's <laughs> quite a shame. <laughs> to, be, to be honest yeah I, I think it has it speaks to the attitude of the nation towards Eurovision from here I yeah. think it's a victim of its own success Eurovision it was in the 70s and 80s quite kitsch quite camp still is to an extent some again some would say but at the heart of it all is actually a much slicker much more polished tv production and Mm. contest as well as something which is fun to watch with your mates and a bottle of wine on a Saturday evening you know (laughs) it's it but I think it still suffers from having that very camp over the top um personality and I think a lot of people in the UK Myself not included, I should say. <laughs> From, there, there's a lot of people who still view it through that prism of it being not a serious competition and right. not something that we should worry ourselves about. It's also something that frustrates big fans like myself who do love the contest and want to actually see it thrive and to want to see UK do well in it as well. Yeah. But mm. it's a general attitude that sometimes we don't try as hard as we should and we just mm. send someone who just to make up the numbers and to justify the fee, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. Just to very quickly go back to that rule part. So when it comes to the final, how many countries, sorry, is it then that is in the final? The number of countries um, is usually around 25 or 26. That gives them time to be able to see everyone and give them a fair hearing. <laughs> right. And then within the voting part, it's, it's like a 12-point system, isn't it? That's right, yes. So each country votes. Each country gives the their top 10 countries that they vote for yeah. a set number of points so the the country that gets the most votes uh, would be given 12 points mm-hmm. and second place 10 points third place eight points and then seven six five four three two one mm-hmm. to all the other ones so it's only the top 10 um, from each country uh, in their televote that gets those points the same is also for the juries so um you basically go around <laughs> to all the countries and and hear from from each each nation i have a, a bit of an off question but it's still related why is Australia part of it? Mm. <laughs> That's the most popular question for the last uh, five or six years, I think, that's been uh, fired at me. So um, you'll remember earlier on that I said in order to be uh, taking part in Eurovision, 
you have to be paying into the EBU as a, as a member. Mm-hmm. In order to be eligible for being in the EBU, you have to be in what's called the, the European broadcast area. So you basically have to be in Europe, a big time, one big time zone. Right. <laughs> now, any country can do that. It's, it's not, it's, it's in that sort of that strip of latitude. Oh, do you mean like as in all the way down then? All the way down, not all the way around, certainly. Yeah, 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 Australia, yeah. But um, it does mean that in the 70s, there were countries like Morocco entering Eurovision, who were African, obviously. <laughs> it's as long as you are a paying member of the EBU, you have the right to enter Eurovision if you want to. It doesn't matter if you sit in geographical Europe or not. Okay. That was sort of turned on its head in 2015. And 2015 was a special year for Eurovision. It was the 60th anniversary of Eurovision happening. And the theme that year, there's a theme every year that they um, have built into, into it. This year it's Open Up. And, and on the, in that specific year in 2015, it was um, Building Bridges. And so they thought the best thing we can do is we know... Um, the organisers were thinking, we know that Australia are very big Eurovision fans. They're not in Europe, but they love it, you know, and whether that's because of the cultural similarities between between that, that nation and this or, or or whatever. They said, you know what, what would be a really good idea, just as a one-off, just for this year, let's invite um, Australia to participate as, as, a, as a standalone country, as a nation that people can vote for and that they can vote for their winner as well. Okay. Just to promote this this theme. But, but it will just be a one-off, you know. It won't be, <laughs> it won't happen any, anymore. And so they did. They performed. They were given a free pass to the final, so they didn't take away a space from anyone from the um, semis. So that was okay. something they just decided for, for that. Um, and it was a gentleman called Guy Sebastian who sang a song called Tonight Again, and it was very well received. And it nearly ended up winning. <laughs> it oh, came wow. about top five i think it's fifth or sixth it came oh, um the other countries react to that mm. <laughs> um, you know what? i think for the first year i think the the other countries really enjoyed the novelty value of having <laughs> having australia nice. in there and there's a pretty good explanation you know for saying why are australia in it you know we, we just say yeah. you know it's the anniversary is for a year blah 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 they have not stopped entering <laughs> um <ever since>, so. <laughs> So the, um, the EBU have a reference group every year that they sit down and they decide what the rules are going to be if they need to change anything. And they decided, no, do you know what? It was such a success last year. Let, let's let's have Australia come back again next year. You know, just just for this once. You know, it was it was really successful. They're entered this year as well. <laughs> they're in it this year too. They're they're um, they're they're raring to go. They've come perilously close to winning a couple of times. Not just in the first year. They they came um, they came second a few years later. So that it does beg the question of you know if they do win, are we going to have to all decamp to Australia and watch? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the organisers have built in a rule to that so should Australia win the rule is that they have to host the contest in Europe buddying up with another broadcaster mm. and um, sharing the cost with them because it wouldn't be fair to, to expect another broadcaster in another country to put them up yeah, <laughs> and not yeah, yeah, yeah. so for the time being Australia yeah. is yeah um, but yeah. you know it, it's 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 fluid you know you could get other countries you know mm. joining soon and that, you know that'll be become world vision <laughs> I, know, yeah. I mean it's interesting how it could potentially expand even more than the 40 countries that we're already seeing so that's something exciting yeah. I guess look forward to what what was your actual earliest memory of getting into Eurovision like you said you haven't actually enjoyed it from childhood you got into it later on when did you first get into it it was probably um, my early teenage years I can remember the first one I watched which was about 2003 I was 14 and I remember it specifically it was a Saturday night obviously and um my mum was out my dad offered to look after me and my younger brother and there was something that was really awfully rubbish on ITV and I can't remember what it was but it was like a, a really terrible show and we thought we're not feeling this let's go, let's go and let's watch something else and then I switched over to BBC One and there was this really big sort of set piece arena style <laughs> show going on and I thought you know w- what's this what, what's, what's going on this is like some some massive um thing with huge production values what's yeah. what's happening and most people who know me will know that I'm a sucker for big set piece events you know like like you know, the Olympics award ceremonies anything that's sort of annual the British awards things like that I love sitting down and making a big thing of it as I'm there and you know as if I'm some sort of showbiz correspondent so I'll <laughs> 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 and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll sit there and I'll, and I'll, I'll watch it and we were watching it and, and we noticed that there was this, just this sort of conveyor belt of of different songs coming on in different countries and I thought this isn't a bad idea this is this is quite interesting this is something that um that I could really get into you know? <laughs> um, 
and we and we we watch you know and this was in the very sort of early stages so we didn't know about scoring or anything we just thought it was something that they just came on and sang for and it, it rolled on for a bit longer my dad was still cooking in the kitchen Iranian food takes a perilously long time to cook so and <laughs> <laughs> um, and we were just sort of, I was running out giving him updates on oh this song's really good this song's really interesting you know I didn't like that one very much and he was just like nodding along as, as dads do you know <laughs> yeah okay. that's great and then it got to the the next bit and then um I thought oh well that must be it it's all over and then the the explanation came on about voting and I thought well there won't be a, a result surely yet you know this is happening all over Europe they can't have you know mm. I, I knew about elections and things like that I knew they didn't yeah. take like five minutes to sort <laughs> and then uh, I saw the um the hosts again and they said well the, the voting lines are only open for five ten minutes um and I was sat there thinking really <laughs> And then went through the voting and it was it was a really close um, year that year that year um turkey won and turkey were one of our favorites mine and my brother jack oh, we really? yeah and we we quite liked it and we thought it was quite modern it was it was quite a good song in amongst all of the others mm. it was it was really close i remember that and we were getting excited as the voting was getting uh, going further on and they were going around each country and, and explaining you know who gave what votes to which country and, and it was really close towards the end. And I remember when it was mathematically impossible for Turkey to be caught and that they won the contest. We jumped up and down and we like hugged each other. <laughs> a bit like, you know, like Chip and Dale when they get excited yeah. in Disney and they jump up and down and run around in circles. And I was like, I, was, I ran out to my dad and he was like, what's going on? And I went, we won as if I was Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I mean, I mean, they won. I mean, they won. And he said, who? I said, Turkey. Turkey won. Have won this. This. I didn't even know it was called Eurovision at that point. I was literally sitting there going, the thing. Um, they, they, they won the, the event, the, the big thing, the song, the song competition. And that was sort of it. And it sort of, <laughs> it was. I was, I was really excited um, that, that they'd won. The feeling and the sort of euphoria I got from that were, was was really palpable you know and I, I just love the idea of of each country having equal power. You could get one point from the UK. And that would be fine. But if you've got 12 points from Malta or something, a, a tiny nation, mm. um, that they, they would have as much right to elect a winner mm. as the country did. And I thought, I think that's what I enjoyed. And I, and I did really, yeah, the fairness. And I, I just really bought into the, um, the idea of coming together to vote for one, one song for one, mm. for one nation yeah. um, and support that's each nice. other. Yeah not for a prism of sort of you know wars and fighting and, and you know trying mm, to yes definitely it's very soft you know and just leave politics at the door um you know, it, it oh. comes through <laughs> well <laughs> yeah i was gonna say Trying that's to another be. episode i think <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to ask is your brother still as big a fan as you are now um i think it's one of those things where you say it's sort of a fan through consent <laughs> he's sort of <laughs> okay he, he he'll get involved and he'll he'll be interested. He was, there is no one in my family who is um, at the level that I am. In terms right. of well, friends. we want to put this to the test. Oh my um, god! I've brought. <laughs> I found a quiz online, and I wanted to ask you a few questions. Brilliant! I know I, I didn't agree to this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would. Ree was like, "Shall I ask James?" And I was like, "No, no. Let's put him on the spot. He's this self-proclaimed expert. Let's do it." Why, why he is such an expert, though? Then this is the only reason why I I was like, "It has to be James that we speak to about this." When I first started working with James, James and I used to work together. On like a Friday, I would I was usually like the person playing the music in the in the office because because I broke the radio, <laughs> and um, and so the way that I would do it is like, asking everyone on a Friday what do they want to listen to, and James sat directly opposite me as my line manager, so I'm going to ask him first. <laughs> I was like, what do you want to listen to? And if it wasn't Diana Ross or if it wasn't Kylie Minogue, it was Eurovision, and I just <laughs> thought, right, okay, and I had no idea what I was listening to, but it got to the point where I he'd say, oh, just play anything Eurovision, and I'd be like, okay, then, and I'd play something. He goes, that's this person from this country at this year and I was like what? I mean he could literally do this so this is why I'm very interested to see how you do with this quiz <laughs> I mean no pressure right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right question number one how many times has Johnny Logan performed and won for Ireland um twice well done and yeah. he's the only person to have won Eurovision more than once he is. He's also the um, only person to have won a song, won with a song as a singer and uh, written a song that won as well. Oh, look at these bonus facts, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this question. I asked um, Re this one earlier. Who is the famous daughter of Milena Ernman, the Swedish opera singer who performed at Eurovision in 2009? Um, that would be Greta Thunberg. Look at you, like, nodding, just saying, yes, I'll let her finish the question. <laughs> 
<laughs> if only you had a buzzer, like you would have stopped yeah. me like right at the beginning. Like, I'll just stop you right there. <laughs> okay, well done. What what's the name of the puppet Ireland entered into the competition in 2008? Uh, that would be Dustin the Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um Ireland and it was pretty awful. But I love it. It's like if you want like camp kitschy um, Eurovision uh, through snobbery, that is exactly the way to go. Um, it's brilliant. It's glorious. Oh my god! Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what year did Finnish band Lordy win, becoming the first hard rock band ever to do so? Uh, that would be two thousand six. That's correct. <laughs> right. Um, last one because I think you're smashing these. Uh, which. <laughs> Which EastEnders star performed for the UK in 1991? A message to your heart. <laughs> uh, that's Samantha Janus. Yeah, Samantha Womack. Yeah, that's her name now. Yeah, that's her maiden name, Samantha Janus. Oh, sorry. Sorry, apologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a message God. to your heart in Italy. And it was, well um, done. Yes, well done to you. And I mean, if anyone needed any further proof of why any further questions we're about to ask James is being directed to him, that is why. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, a hot flush after that that was really <laughs> you did oh, very well under pressure thank you thank you so james what makes a good act to you in your opinion versus what makes a good act in the competition there's there's a couple of things um for me i always enjoy a bit of a, a bit of a beat you know and some, and some good good awful lyrics and i mean that in none i possible. <laughs> eurovision isn't exactly known for its uh dynamic lyrics I would say sometimes mm -hmm. some of the songs that there are there are some which go really you know full health or ever with with singing certain types of song or love songs or, or something but there you do get some real corkers sometimes which are you don't know if they're done in an ironic way or if they're not if they're just something that's just to make it memorable for example there was a song a few years ago that Armenia uh, entered called Apricot Stone and that was <laughs> apricots are basically the national fruit of armenia so it has a real symbolic meaning to them but they also decided to put a giant uh, apricot stone on the middle of the, in the middle of the stage right okay <laughs> sort of, just uh, the stone yeah not well, an apricot no just the stone itself so you were supposed to ascertain that it was an apricot stone i guess <laughs> 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 but there are there are things that have you know um have gimmicks there's often a, a hook that helps uh, if that's a gimmick on the stage or an instrument there was one year um you the ukrainian entry um was brought in on stage by a giant seven uh, a seven foot giant a big a big guy plonked <laughs> on a plinth and then he left and the song wasn't entirely memorable but that moment was and so that right, often yeah. with winning things like that so i mean for, for me i i enjoy the good songs and I often do end up liking the winner although it's not my favorite at that moment there's got to be things like dance routines if you've got the pyrotechnics and, and everything the stage presence that they really go big for me um, and that's if that's something that is uh, really well choreographed and, and the routine is fantastic mm. that will always score highly in my book I do have a weakness for the the ironic songs the weak ones the the, the cheesy fest ones that you still get yeah. um through for the competition and for the public at large i would say what helps a lot is the hype the hype of the song there are songs which are mercilessly sort of pumped out across europe to put on the radio station playlists and things so that when it the time comes for that song to be uh, played at eurovision people know it already they feel familiar right, with right. it yeah yeah so they, okay. they, they go, oh yeah, I know that song. That's a song I really like. That really worked well for um, Lena. Uh, she was a German entry in 2010. She's had a song called Satellite. And um, it was mm. really well known across mm. Europe. And it wasn't played too much in the UK. So we, we were voting on it as if, you know, <laughs> as if we'd heard it for the first time. But a lot of people who are across the mainland Europe had heard that song yeah. before, knew it, and they enjoyed it and they loved it. And were like, I'm going to vote for that song <laughs> in this context. Yeah. What, in my family, it was kind of important that the country was at least part of the song was sung in their own language mm. how do you feel about that i do enjoy uh, the ones that are like that it's mm. a it's a shame that the rule has been relaxed and um, so it used to be mm. you had to sing in your own country's language yeah. and that sort of changed around the sort of the 90s but whereas you could you can sing in any language you want there have been songs with made up languages as well <laughs> complete gibberish <laughs> and I, I i always think it's important because it sort of it does speak to your audience, but it also broadens out your appeal to to to, an, to the wider audience as well in Eurovision. I don't think it's necessary necessary to have to sing in English just because that's one of the most widest widely spoken languages. Mm. That said, that has helped a lot of songs with their um, 
when when they have gone on to win or to do well is it's because people can identify the lyrics and know what's being sung about but part right. of the like time because stone probably yeah, helps exactly <laughs> explain <laughs> what that is Armenian. exactly <laughs> sung in armenian i don't think that would be half as you know it would have done half as well as it, as it would have done but yeah. um it's it's not necessarily um a a drawback for a song if it is sung in a native language it just happens to be that songs sung in, in english tend to do better if you were to look at the the, the songs over the last say 10 15 years or so uh, that have won the contest a lot of them have been in english language and mm. so you could probably pick count on one hand the amount that have one in that wasn't in the native language of that country and i enjoy you know i enjoy looking up the song sometimes and going you know i have no idea what this is um <laughs> what this is talking about and and sometimes they, they you know they sound worse <laughs> when you read really in english <laughs> it's probably better to have the native language yeah uh, well so so yeah i always think it's, it's always important to have that um to have that element to it and there's always a mix but it's usually the majority are in English, which is which is a shame. So this episode obviously is coming out in May, and in this month, Eurovision 2021 is taking place. Last year, because of the pandemic, it was cancelled, which obviously was a real shame for fans such as James, and obviously getting myself into it. God, like I was just like, oh. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but during the pandemic, we've had other ways to enjoy Eurovision, or at least I've found other ways to enjoy it thanks to James and I think a lot of other people have started to get into it as well and there's been different reasons one of the reasons that I felt people had got into it is Netflix brought out a movie called Eurovision with Will Farrell and Rachel McAdams and Demi Lovato stars and and stuff. Jess, you haven't seen it yet, have you? I haven't, no. No, <laughs> I don't know them but there are a lot of previous contestants who were in the movie but then also from last year's entries as well because obviously the pandemic wasn't a planned thing they had thought that uh eurovision 2020 was going to go ahead so they had all of the um the contestants uh, be released like the the music that comes out beforehand and i was obsessed with iceland's song and it went viral on tiktok because everyone started doing dances for it so do you feel like the pandemic even though it didn't it stopped it from happening it kind of helped bring attention to eurovision i think so um definitely and you know the the whole sort of premise of the pandemic and being sort of locked down not not really having much other than yourselves and, and social media mm. really amplified that message and mm. and the, in the the crazes that went on and you're right the uh, icelandic <laughs> eurovision entry for for last year was um was, he was pretty epic uh, his song was was quite well received and there was every chance that i would have done very well had it actually um gone ahead and been and been competed last year was going to be one of these sort of big moments in maybe in this country but maybe across all of Europe as well or you know to the world who who don't necessarily know about it it was a year for me that Eurovision was going to potentially go mainstream it still has that reputation of sort of camp and silliness and a bit and a bit you know a bit silly sometimes right but it had that rep it was good it was going to hopefully smash its reputation and go look this isn't just about wearing your national costume and, and saying the most ridiculous things in your own in your own language in the hope that someone votes for it this mm. is going to be this is a serious competition. It's a serious, serious uh, event that happens every year. People love it. It has a combined audience of, you know, up to a billion sometimes, depending on how many people have seen and consumed the, the media. This is something we need to start bringing into the public uh, mainstream consciousness. Mm. And I think the film itself, all right, it's not going to win Oscars. It's it's not no. it's not fantastic. It's funny, it, it, but I think oh, it has. The... But you say that wasn't it up for? Isn't yes. it? Up, it's up for an Oscar or up for a, a Grammy for the song that's in it. It's it's certainly up for an Oscar. I'm not sure about the Grammys, but yeah, it definitely yeah. the song um, Husevik at the very end um, yeah. is is a brilliant song, um, and that's been nominated for best song best song at the Oscars. So I hope it wins. <laughs> Um, but it's you know it, it, the film has a right measure of a poking fun in itself and being a good solid a good solid film you know it, it's got some dramatic license taken within it so it's not exactly accurate with how the scoring works and the rules mm. um, but it's a very good introduction for unknowns you know for people who don't know much about it. yeah I was and, gonna say I think if anyone who hasn't ever watched Eurovision hasn't ever heard of Eurovision watch that movie if you don't want to mm. necessarily if you want some sort of like way to ease yourself into it because I think it's quite um like you said it's not completely accurate but it's along the lines and I think it it does that quite nicely in my opinion yeah I mean it's the same as any other film that adapts a text or adapts a well-known thing it takes some liberties you know and it's not going to be exactly word for word what it is if it if it was exactly the same as what it was like it would be a contest in itself and that wouldn't be necessarily the way the way that they want to portray it the the upshot of it all is a lot of the people who were due to compete last year have come back with brand oh, new no. songs 
That um, part I don't so, like. That part I don't like. <laughs> I like the songs from last year. <laughs> so, yeah, the problem, the problem is they basically said, no, you can't have the same songs as last year. They'll probably be um, played to death, and it won't have the same sort of impact, I guess. Right. As, yeah. As mm, during, makes sense. Brand new. I still love a lot of the songs from last year. Some of the songs that have been brought forward this year aren't necessarily on the same level. Um, yeah, as, like, uh, the one that I would have, I would have put the UK as one of my favorite songs for last year and mm. the one that they've put out for this year i don't dislike it but i no way near as love well and <laughs> little disclaimer when i first listened to um to, to the uk one i had just watched uh what did i just i'd watched an episode of the goop you know with um mm. gwyneth paltrow her netflix thing just have you seen that no, I haven't. Oh, it's it's her just talking about different alternative like health and well-being things. And one of them, she goes to see this guy called Wim Hof, who does this ice therapy. It's like going in cold water to help mm-hmm. with depression and all this sort of stuff. But he's in the video and I jumped out of my chair at work <laughs> and I went, Wim! <laughs> I, will, I will never, ever forget that moment. You made me jump out my skin when I was sat opposite you at that desk. Went, oh my God, it's Wim Hof! <laughs> <laughs> it just made it for me so I, like the new song is very nice but i was like there's wim hoff's not in this <laughs> so so james having heard some of the entries for 2021 do you have any guesses for who you think might do well it's it's difficult so i've i've heard mo- well i've heard all of them actually i should say um i've heard snippets of i've heard it, snippets of all of them yeah. and most of and all of most of them if that makes sense yeah. so there are, I've, I've only heard a few few seconds of I don't remember uh, a contest being as diverse in musical styles Ooh. as for quite a while. And I think it's all dependent on what the mood is going to be like in terms of what's going to be the big the big hitters and what's going to be um, accepted as there's this summer sound, perhaps, you know. And I think that's probably what the UK have gone for with the vibe this year of having a... It sounds... Uh, the, the song for the UK this year sounds very much like... Um, it's very similar lines to uh, Came Here For Love by Sigala. And I think okay. that's probably um, a, a, a conscious effort to try and make it sound like modern dance music rather than what we've said before, which is just ballads by people from the 80s. <laughs> so, um, but I, I do think there are a few standouts. So there's Malta have got a really, really modern sounding song. And another one that's that's a bit of a front runner and has had a bit of hype, which is what I was mentioning earlier about. Um, and this is, you know, it's had a bit of bad press, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's, right. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's Cyprus. Um, and their song is called El Diablo, and oh, um, the devil. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem. There's a few religious groups in in that country who are Ooh, not happy oh for it. So um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not really well thought there. Is it? Well, mm. yeah. <laughs> and I think the idea is that any publicity is good publicity, and that that yeah. could end up doing quite well for it. The big trump card that's been played this year is uh, San Marino. There's, there's a lady, uh, the lady's called Senhit, and she's got a song called Adrenalina. And oh, she's... Like you got me to hear this one the other day, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's decided to feature Flowrider on her um, on her tune. So, no. <laughs> um, so that's got a bit of stardust, shall we say, to it. Um, there's talk about whether he's actually just in that song and in terms of the sample, or if he's going to actually appear on stage. The, the word I've got, I've heard, the word I've got, as if I'm like some gossip reporter. Uh, <laughs> Inside <laughs> street. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing from my sources um, that uh, uh, he will be on stage that evening as long as wow. the COVID restrictions allow. So it um, mm-hmm. be really interesting to see whether that's a Lister style. It's not something we usually get at Eurovision when when well, we've had like, Jeff, of a well-known... Jess, you were saying this to me before we started recording, that some countries, they, they employ or, or hire people from like America. Like, who did you say to me? Yeah, was it Russia that got Timberland to write a song for yeah. them, was it? Yeah, yeah. Other countries have done it as well. You know that some people have employed um, Red One to write their songs. Um, Not allowed though. Like, well, I mean, it must be because it's been done. But yeah, totally. it has to be from your own country. You would have thought, not have outsider help. I mean, you think, yeah, it's yeah. It, <laughs> the, there's no there's no restriction on who you can have representing your country. There's no restriction on who you have writing songs for your country. The only stipulations are that it can't be more than three minutes long, and um, kind of more than six of you on a stage. You have to sing live, and the song has to have been released uh, after September the previous year. So as long as they've okay. they all of those notes, there's a few others, but yeah, they're a bit more technical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's very, very straightforward, some of the rules. 
is there any um from your correspondence is there any sort of news on on what it's going to look like this year not visually as such but because of covid is it going to have an audience or is it going to be so they were very clear this year that it was going to run no matter what so um the (laughs) 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 too much money into this (laughs) (laughs) um so basically the organizers came up with four scenarios that they would envisage doing um eurovision in and they went from a to d and scenario a was just normal um, mm-hmm. just so basically have a crowd have the crowds and uh, there from an international audience have all the acts on stage um scenario b which is a very limited audience um a very and, and socially distanced with some um, extra restrictions here and there and then it went down to c and d and, and d was was the most restricted one which was basically um people perform in their own countries and they get broadcast uh, from their home nation into and um, piped around Europe on the Eurovision network. So at the moment, they've ruled out A because of the ongoing situation. Ruled it out. Ruled it out completely. Yeah. Okay. So they're on B at the moment, which is a reduced audience and uh, restrictions on number of people who can come in the delegation from each country. That could yet shift to C where there's no audience and 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 just the performers there. Um, but the idea is that no matter what happens with the pandemic is that the contest will still go ahead and also that the um, the performers will perform yeah. provided they can they can travel from their home country into the Netherlands where it's being hosted. If they're not able to do that, then they're also able to perform from home um, from a studio. But we'll see. Um, and at least they've laid out those options so that so that they have mm. the, the something to fall back on if necessary. So historically, you've hosted Eurovision parties and oh, yeah. had, had a way to enjoy it. How would you, what are your tips for everyone to enjoy um, Eurovision this year? Because I mean, we've, we've done our own ones, obviously, throughout the pandemic where we've had, uh, you've sent us links that have been done online through YouTube or through Twitter, where we get to watch previous um, Eurovisions. And we didn't know what I definitely didn't, you probably did. You knew who the winner was, but I didn't have a clue. So I was like, right, I'm voting for this. And you could either join the Twitter voting thing where you act as if the 70s are happening all over again, or you do it with James where he'll do all of the voting system for you. (laughs) But um, how, and, and just for anyone who wants to do their own one, the way that we did it was the song, like you vote on the song, you vote on the mm-hmm. outfit and you vote on the performance. So I would often listen to the song and be like, right, this song could probably be good, but the performance was awful. <laughs> so that would get different points. But how would you tell everyone to enjoy or how to experience Eurovision from home this year? It's um, it, it's proving to be hopefully a very exciting year for doing it because it will be completely fresh for everyone, hopefully. But yeah, the scorecarding came from the BBC Eurovision website. So oh, um. Okay. That that's something that everyone can get involved with. So it has those same three categories. And around the time of the contest each year, they will put up a PDF of each country's and each country, each song. And it allows you to then score it the, the way you want to. So um, that that then means that you can then make an informed choice about the song that you want to win, not just based on, oh, I like that beat or I like what she's wearing. But you've got a sort of a weighted way of sort of saying, yeah, it's 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 not just middling. It's, it's something's really good or something's really bad. So that's that's where I tend to use it from. So I definitely keep an eye on there. And that's fed into my European parties sort of that I, that I used to run. And when I was living at home with my mum, that was something that um, that came about. It was a few years after watching the first Eurovision. I thought I'd, I'd been watching them for some years now, and I, I enjoyed seeing them come around. And I said to mm-hmm. Mum one one year, um, "Do you know what? You know, don't make any dinner tonight. I'm going to go to Asda with my older brother and just pick up a load of, you know, that party food the kids would have, you know, like cocktail yeah. sausage, sausage rolls and things like that." And I was always looking for a way each year to sort of build on that and to, <laughs> and to try and make it better, bigger than than, than previous years. <laughs> so what, the following year, I, I went on to Amazon and I. I bought some um european flag bunting so that i could then pin it up across the ceiling then i would look for um other flags uh union jack flags to pin up around and use as tablecloths and and then i'd have the scorecards and then one year i decided you know what this is it's all good having the same food every year and and half of it goes to waste but let's make it a bit more exciting a bit more relevant to eurovision so we then my brother and i each year we would go to asda and we would fulfill ourselves with a brief of try and get something from each european nation so that you can try and you know have a, I a bit love of, that idea. Wow, <laughs> I love that's cool. That's really cool. Mm. So you would have like Polish sausage and Norwegian cheese and um, you know Cypriot or Greek halloumi or yogurt or something like that. Yeah. And it, we we suddenly realised after you know after about half an hour traipsing around the supermarkets in, in the first year we did it we thought we're going to have to start thinking a bit outside the box on this <laughs> a bit laterally. So <laughs> you ended up with a French stick or a box of Maltesers chocolates or <laughs> things like that. <laughs> 
and said, oh, yeah, this is definitely, yeah, Swedish meatballs, perfect, you know, <laughs> fabulous, but I've got pizzas from Alta, Belgian chocolates, you know, some of some were really easy to just flow off the tongue, but mm-hmm. there are others where you go, mm, Bosnia, Herzegovina, what am I going to get? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> hmm. so we, we didn't manage to hit every single country, but we, hmm. we do get a, a good a good range, and we've actually broadened our, our, our tastes quite quite well out of it, actually. I'm now a big fan of halloumi. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so it, it was it was a really nice way of just sort of making it a bit more cultural and, and mm. yeah. So I think that's such a great tip though for everyone. Obviously, scoring cards if you really want to get into it because it does help you sort of. There's a lot of people that you're watching, obviously. So I think sometimes writing it down that helps, and then having the food element. Who doesn't enjoy trying different foods? Like mm. God, that makes everything better. So you've got music, you've got scoring, you've got food. Like make a whole yeah. evening of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got the free flowing wine, I'm sure that'll be running all back. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, that that would be a way to get yourself through some of the countries, get wine from different countries. Yeah. <laughs> was it um was it Terry Wogan used to used to host it? And didn't he used to drink throughout it and he was absolutely smashed by the he by was, the end yes. of the night? <laughs> really? Very often the case. Yeah, it was it was so Terry Wogan hosted from about the eighties to about two thousand nine. And I think he grew a bit dis- yeah. disillusioned with it all. So he sort of handed the reins over to Graham Norton, who still sort of yeah. uh, does he's funny. Yeah, I love him. And, <laughs> and, and Terry would always have a thing where he would say he would always have his first drink after song number nine because that was when he, he started to feel like he needed to, to have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> And and so since since he died, um, Graham has done a thing where you would each everyone at home would raise a glass after that song nine to to Terry um, to drink at that point. But yeah, it was it was odd how they differently they come from different um, sort of schools of thought. Graham and Terry. So Terry was very much sardonic, and he was very sort of cutting about some of the uh, outfits or hosts or choices. Mm. And it came it almost came from a sort of disdain. Sometimes it sounded like that anyway. But I think he did enjoy it because he hosted it one year when the UK won it. So it's not as if um, it's not as if he. Would, he would, <laughs> I don't you know, want anything to do with yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> you will catch me on the stage. Um, whereas Graham, still, Graham's always been a big fan of it. You know, he used to host it on mm. his radio two show and he used to talk about it on there. And he he does tease and he does um, mock, yeah. and but it it sort of comes from a different place. I feel and it's because that's his he, sense of humour anyway, isn't it? Yeah. It's not yeah. like it's just like oh, this is a rubbish. Thing. It's no, yeah, just his right. sense of humor. Yeah, it's not. It's not mean spirited either. It's, mm. it's, all, it's all in good fun, I think. It's not in a nasty way. I mean, one yeah. of my favorite comments he's ever said is when when they're going around the um, the scoring, and there was a lady who had like this wavy piece of fabric sort of stuck into her shoulder oh. at an angle that was coming yeah. up, and he said, "Well, it looks like a piece of corrugated iron has just blown <laughs> off and <laughs> hits her in the neck." <laughs> and that's the sort of humour that that gets you through an evening like that, especially where you've got so much scoring. The scoring, yeah, can take that's up true. An hour sometimes yeah. over an hour. so you need that that person just keeping it fresh and not not having to look at numbers every every mm. five. Mm. Well, I think from from this conversation, and I'm sure we could keep going on and on about it, but I think for anyone who does want to get into it this year, I think taking from James's tips here is definitely do the food, do the dressing up, have have your scorecards and everything like that. But I would also encourage you to go onto Twitter. I would encourage you to follow James because he does give a running commentary. <laughs> so he, if you don't want to listen to Graham Norton give one, listen to James. <laughs> it's very, very enjoyable. And yeah, I just, I think everyone would really, really get into it. And I love the idea of everyone coming together for something, you know, to, to come together for song and for music as opposed to, politics and war and all that sort of shit so (laughs) thank you very much for speaking with us about all of this and I just want to put out to you our question that we ask all of our guests which is what makes up your circle I think we can take a wild guess but (laughs) what makes up your circle I mean, I think the um, the introduction at the start was very much my circle. So, so Gurubich and Lego trains, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it, there's there's obviously the three Fs. There's uh, my fiance Rich. There's uh, my family, my friends, which you know are, are massively important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very small circle of close friends, very close friends, um, and I, I'm very selective about, about who I have in there. But they're always there for me, and I know I can chat with them anytime I want to. So we like to dedicate every episode to either a small business, a charity, or an organisation. And as you are a guest, we would like to ask, who would you like to support? So thank you for this opportunity because it's, it's an organisation that's not very well known at all, and I only knew about after the reason I needed to use them really. 
And my my organization is called uh, CRY, and that's uh, or C-R-Y, whichever they prefer. And that stands for Cardiac Risk in the Young. Something that you may not know about me or your audience may not know about me is I underwent um, open heart surgery um, about five years ago now. Um, and that was an undiagnosed um, heart condition that I'd had from birth that I didn't actually realize I had until I was about 21 years old. And I, it was basically I ran for the bus one day and um, there was a problem with my eye and my sight. And 18 months later, after investigating everything and knowing it wasn't something wrong with my eyes, they actually realized it was something wrong with my heart. And mm. it was quite, quite amazing that that sort of led to that. Mm. <laughs> And so it was it was a faulty valve that I needed replacing. And that happened in 2016. We also discovered from that that my mum also had exactly the same thing. And so she needed hers replacing the the following year as well. And had it not been for me running for that bus one day, Mm -hmm. I I was told in no uncertain terms by my cardiologist, I would be dead. Yeah. They often find this this condition that we had. They often find it in post mortems, where no. <laughs> where you, you've essentially died from it because it's ruptured or, or because something's happened to cause you to to die. And so, what Cry do is they support young people um, who have been diagnosed with life threatening sort of cardiac conditions. They also offer bereavement support to families who have sadly not been able to to get that diagnosed as well yeah. and what they also do is they promote and develop um heart screening programs for young people so um they subsidize it for eight, <clears throat> 18 to 35 year olds um and it's an opportunity for young people to go and get their heart checked have an ecg have a have a uh, what they call an echocardiogram and just to make sure that there's nothing untoward um that that's going on i mean their your heart is is a very resilient organ but it's also something that can suffer a lot um, and go, go through a lot during life and it's best to make sure that that's in tip-top condition <laughs> so that you don't mm. actually have any problems with it um, they also do sort of all sorts of uh, services at hospitals and they they, they distribute uh, research and, and they try and publish as much as they can in terms of research they often run uh, these the screening programs throughout the year obviously with the pandemic they're not going on as much as, as they were but once they're up and running again I would highly recommend that anyone within to say the age range of 18 to 35 just has a look at the website see what they can do um in terms of if they want to make a donation that'd be fantastic to help with with the screening definitely um, if, and if they want to book themselves for a screening though they can they can absolutely mm. go ahead and do that the procedure itself it's very non-invasive it's a bit like an ultrasound of the heart um it's just you know, a rollerball over the chest it's nothing nothing painful mm. and i'd highly recommend it to anyone just to make sure that you you know you, you acknowledge it's your friend if you yes. know that you've got wrong and something can be fixed it's better to know now than when it's too late absolutely i couldn't agree more so that's such a great cause for us to be able to support today so if you um obviously anyone who is watching the youtube video you'll see that all of the information is on the screen now for anyone who is an audio listener listener we will put all of the details in our description boxes across all of our streaming platforms so thank you very much for that thank you very much for joining us today we've loved having all of your information and just can't believe that you ace that quick i mean i can but you know (laughs) it's impressive But thank you very much. And um, yeah, absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening. Please make sure to like and subscribe and check us out on all of our streaming platforms. And we'll see you for our next episode. Bye. Bye.